And in today's message, we're going to learn exactly what we need to do to have God's glory fall on us. Perhaps you've heard the same um, radio advertisement that I've had. It's been kind of on a lot of the stations. It, um, it, it's, it, it refers to the fact that of those people who make New Year's resolutions, on an annual basis, 65% of the people who do that make a commitment to lose weight. And the point that they're making is that if 65% of the people every year are making a commitment to lose weight, that means the majority of the people who are making a commitment to make weight aren't, lose weight aren't, right? In other words, it's, if you're doing it over and over and over again, and I don't use that today to indicate to us that we're fat, though I have some issues, but the rest of you look really great, right? You know, but, but I do use it today to indicate and to remind us that change is hard. And I think sometimes we lose sight of the fact that change is hard. Jesus knew that change was hard for his disciples. And he was actually asking them to go through some major hula hoops of change in their preparation to be the next generation of gospel bearers in the world. And so in Mark chapter 7, where we were last week, and if you have a Bible with me, I'd love for you to grab a Bible and turn with me to Mark chapter 7. If you're using one of the Bibles that's underneath your chair, our text today page is 852, but Mark chapter 7. When we were last with Jesus last week, two things were going on. One, he, he was trying to get some time where he could get away with his disciples and just focus on them. They were tired, they were overwhelmed, and they needed to learn some stuff. And so he keeps going back and forth across the Sea of Galilee, trying to find an area to, to where he can spend some time alone with his disciples. Didn't work so well. The other thing is that Jesus had just dropped a bombshell of change on them. They had spent their entire lives believing that the number one thing that they needed to do was keeping themselves ceremonially fit to be able to worship God. They needed to make sure they ate the right things in the right way at the right time and all those kinds of things. And Jesus, in Mark chapter 7, verse 19, he says, you know what, listen, it's not what goes into you. It's not how you eat. It's not what, how you, you know, what you eat that makes you unrighteous. It's what comes out of you that makes you unrighteous. And he just blew up their world. It'd be like if, if, it'd be like if I said to you, you know, you're serious about wanting to get close to God. And I tell you, you know what? It's not about going to church. Don't read your Bible. Don't memorize scripture. Don't pray. None of that stuff has anything to do with getting close to God. And you'd say, well, what am I supposed to do? And so here these guys have been spending all their lives trying to do the right things to get close to God. And Jesus says, none of that stuff works. And they're like, well, what are we supposed to do? And it's in that spirit of the difficulty of the change that they needed to go through and the fact that Jesus needed to invest in them more deeply that really is the setting for the text that we're going to look at today in the last part of Mark chapter 7. So it's interesting because we know from the gospel of Mark that there's a lot of stuff that Jesus did that he doesn't really tell us about. There's a lot of things that he taught that he doesn't really tell us about. So Mark is going through and pulling things out for a reason. So we have to ask the question, why are these things in here? 
Let's follow along together. We're going to start in verse 24 and go all the way through the end of the chapter in verse 27. I know our time is late. We've had some other great things going on in here. In a few minutes, you might start hearing some racket in the lobby. That's because our teenagers, there's 75 people who are coming back from Sturbridge this morning who've been away for the weekend at Youth Encounter in Christ, YEC. So you might hear some noise. But follow along in your Bibles, beginning with verse 24. And then I'll go back through and make some comments I think that are relevant for us to make sure we understand. So, so he got up and departed from there. And so he's in the Sea of Galilee. Let's bring the map up. So, so up to this point in time, Jesus' ministry had been pretty much all around this basin right here. This is the Sea of Galilee, right? About five, six miles long, eight to ten miles north to south. Most of his ministry has been right around at Capernaum and Bethsaida, that area right there. One time he got over here where he healed the guy who had the demoniacs, right? And the pigs ran into the water and all died. And it was right down here on the edge of the Decapolis. But everything's been right here. And he's been trying to find some peace and quiet, some rest and relaxation, some one-on-one time with his disciples, and nothing's working. So what Mark tells us now is, so Jesus came to this point. He got up from there and he departs and he travels up to this area around Tyre then later he goes up to Sidon, and then he makes his way out to the east, and they come back around from this side and in. So what Jesus basically says in this passage, what he does is, you guys have some stuff to learn. Let's go on a 125-mile hike together. Some commentators think it took a year. So you know what? We just need to get away for a year for you to learn. <laughs> you know, I don't think it was that long. I do think it took a month. I think they were gone on this journey for months. So he gets up from there, he departs, and he heads to the area of Tyre and Sidon, which, by the way, is a Gentile area, right? He said, you know, we got to get away from people. So let's go where no good Jew will go. Let's go to a Gentile area. So off they go. He entered a house, and he didn't want anyone to know it. So Jesus enters town, hoodie up, sunglasses on, hunched over, you know, that kind of incognito, trying to go in as best he can. So he goes in, into this house, but he couldn't escape notice. Let me just give away, the light shines in the darkness. Can't hide the light, right? Instead, immediately about hearing about him, a woman whose little daughter had an unclean spirit came and fell at Jesus' feet. Now, the woman was a Greek, which to Jesus' disciples, to all the rest of the Jews, meant that she didn't matter. Second-class citizen, don't matter. Outside of God's grace, God doesn't care. God's only happy when the Gentiles die, right? So this woman who's a Gentile, a Greek, a Syrophoenician by birth, she kept asking him to drive the demon out of her daughter. She shows up, and over and over and over again, she says, you got to help me. you got to help me. you got to help me. In fact, Matt, Mark, Matthew tells us in his account, the disciples got so sick of it, they said to Jesus, you got to get rid of her. you got to get rid of her. Kick her out, right? She keeps asking over and over again. She kept asking him to drive out the demon out of her daughter. And so Jesus says to her, allow the children to be satisfied first. Because it isn't right to take the children's bread and throw it to the dogs. And so what you hear in Jesus' message there, we're going to unpack this in just a minute, because this isn't the typical Jesus that we hear, is he says, you know what? 
What I have to offer is good food, and I really shouldn't be offering it to people who don't matter. Right? It should go to the children. It should go to Israel. It shouldn't go to the Gentiles because they're the dogs. Right? You don't take your best steak and toss it to your dog and then eat the stuff out of the dog can for yourself, right? You know, and he says, and, and so this is pretty harsh, right? You know, not the, not the response the woman was hoping for. He just said, you know what, I, I can't do anything for you because you're not important enough. But she replied to him, Lord, even the dogs under the table eat the children's crumbs. Probably what he's referring to here, I, I just love that, you know, they ate with their hands. You know, one of the things I would have loved living in the days of Jesus, they ate with their hands. You know, I mean, it, you know, there's a lot of things I love about the 21st century, but it'd be really great. You just pick up a piece of meat, you know, or you eat it. And I got, you know, and so they didn't have napkins. So the way they cleaned their hands, they would just take a piece of bread and use it to wipe their hands, and then they would just toss it on the floor. And she said, you know what? Even the dogs. Even those who are unworthy, they get some of the stuff that comes from the table, right? Talk about humility, driven by her need. She says, even the dogs under the table eat the children's crumbs. And so he says to her, because of this reply, you can go. The demon has come out of your daughter. When she went back to her home, she found her child lying on the bed, and the demon was gone. So again leaving the region of Tyre. So Jesus is, Jesus is here, right? He's right around in this area. And he wants to go there. And the way that he goes is up, over, around, and then back. Right? So it'd be like if I said to you, you know what, I'm going to go see my son and daughter-in-law in Washington, D.C. But the first thing I'm going to do is I'm going to drive to Portland. Then I'm going to go over to Burlington, and then Vermont, and then I'm going to head south, you know, by way of Chicago. And, and Jesus goes a long way around, and the reason he's doing so is they need to learn some important things from what they just saw. That They have a learning curve to go through. So he says, you know what, let's take the long way home. And so he turns what could have been just a 40-mile trip from Tyree back to the Sea of Galilee, he turns it into 125 miles and months on the road together. Interesting stuff, right? So again, leading, leaving the region of Tyre, he went through, by way of sight, onto the Sea of Galilee, through the region of the Decapolis. And they brought to him a deaf man who also had a speech difficulty. Right? So the guy can't hear, and because he can't hear, he doesn't really know how to form his words right, so he can't really express what he wants from Jesus accurately. So his friends come and they express his need for him. They bring him to Jesus, and they, and, and they brought him to the deaf man who also had a speech difficulty, and they begged Jesus to lay his hand on him. So Jesus took him away from the crowd privately, and after putting his fingers in the man's ears and spitting, he touched his tongue. I mean, how do you talk to a guy who can't hear you? How do you communicate what you're going to do? Jesus says, I'm going to heal your ears. I'm going to heal your ears. And he's going to do that. He says, and the way he communicates that is he sticks his fingers in his ears. Right? So he can get the message. And he says, you don't speak so right. So they believe that saliva had a healing power. So he spits on his hand and he touches the man's tongue. Jesus said, 
I'm communicating to you what I'm going to do. I'm going to heal your ears. I'm going to release your tongue, right? So he, he communicates with him the best way. So he took him away privately and put his fingers in his ears and, and spitting, he touched his tongue. Then looking up to heaven, he sighed deeply and said to him, apathetha, which means be opened. Now I think this is a prayer for the individual, but I also think that Jesus just got done spending 125, walking 125 miles or so with his disciples and saying, you know what, they need their minds opened. They need their hearts opened. So the part of the sigh is, man, are these guys dumb as nails. And, and these are the ones who are going to take the gospel forward. Man, be opened. Let their ears be open. Let their tongue be released, right? Immediately his ears were open. His speech <laughs> was clear. And he ordered them to tell no one. So the guy who hasn't been able to talk for a lifetime, Jesus says, I know I just gave you the capability to talk, but don't tell nobody. <laughs> yeah, good luck with that, right? And sure enough, out he goes and he tells everybody. He says, then he ordered them to tell nobody, but the more he would order them, the more they would proclaim it. I think people would notice anyways, right? When he went into the crowd, he couldn't talk. When he comes out of the crowd, he can talk. Right? What happened to you? Right? So anyways, so they were extremely astonished. And he said he's done everything well. He even makes deaf people hear and people unable to speak talk. Now, I've given this sermon to the title this morning, Breaks and Breakthroughs. Jesus is looking to get a break from active ministry to people so he can focus on his disciples so that they can get to a place of spiritual breakthrough. And he continues this journey of blowing up what their expectations of the activity that God is about. He's already told them, he says, it's not what goes into you that makes you unclean, it's what comes out of your heart that makes you unclean. And now in this lesson, he's also going to show, and it's not just for the Jews, it's also for the Gentiles. So let's unpack just a little bit. We've been using a couple of filters to look at our texts as we move through each one. One is, what is Mark trying to say to us about Jesus? Again, his point is to prove to us that Jesus is the Son of God. So what do we see in our text that screams to us that Jesus is God's son? And I want to give you several things just real quickly because our, our time is short and I want to get to the latter part. We want to look. First of all, Jesus is the light that shines in the darkness, right? The Gentile world, this area of Phoenicia, is dark. God's not there, right? God's with the Jew. God's not there. It's dark. And Jesus goes, hoodie up. Sunglasses on, incognito, and even with that, his radiance shines, and people come. Jesus is the light that shines in the darkness. You also see this phrase that says he's done all things well, right? This is actually an echo of Genesis 1.31. At the end of God's creation week, he steps back and he looks at it, and he sees everything that he has done, and he says, man, it's good. And so Mark here is backing up and, and has got his inspiration. He's looking at what Jesus has done and he says, man, it's good because he's the creator, because he's God. And it's good, right? He's also the Messiah because exactly the things that are taking place in our text are exactly what God said would happen when the Messiah came. Isaiah chapter 35, verses 5 and 6 has this for us. It says, the eyes of the blind will be opened. And the ears of the deaf unstopped. Sound familiar? Right? 
Fingers in the ears, what happens? The ears are unstopped, right? The lame will leap like a deer and the tongue of the mute, right, can't stop talking, even though Jesus is telling them to stop talking, right? You know, I mean, the stuff that's happening is exactly what God said was going to happen. So if you, you ran it through the you know, United Laboratories testing process, they'd say, yeah, this is what it's supposed to do, and this is exactly what he's doing. He's, he's the Messiah, right? There's also the incredible message here that Jesus isn't just the Lord of the Jews, not just the Savior of the Jews, he's the Savior of the whole world. Gentiles included. And this is really a pretext for saying, you know, in, in Mark, 17, Mark 7, verse 19, it says, you know, and with that, Jesus proclaimed all foods clean. In this passage of Scripture, Jesus is proclaiming all people redeemable. <laughs> all people matter. And so this whole interchange is going on when she shows up and she's begging and Jesus says, you know, it's really not right to take what's intended for the children and God wanted to work through the Jews to the world, so they had a preeminence, and you certainly see that. But it's not, it's not right to take that and throw it to the I think he is trying to, I think he's trying to shock his disciples. I mean, they've seen Jesus care for people, right? You know, where, where they had a couple of loaves and a, and a few fish, and, and there's 5,000 people, and Jesus says, you take care of them, right? You know, he's compassionate. And here this woman is sitting before him, begging to, as much as she can, for him to intervene and save his daughter, and he says, you don't matter. And I think what he's really trying to do is he's trying to, he's trying to draw, says, this is the way you guys see it. This is the way the world sees it. I don't think Jesus is trying to be harsh. I'm trying to, I think he's trying to draw, draw the harshness of the world, the wrongness of their thinking, out into the open. And so he, he, he says the difficult. He says, you don't, you're no different than a dog. You, you don't deserve anything from God. I, don't, I, I, I would be wasting my time if I healed your daughter. And, and he knows that, that's the way the world would see it. It's the way his disciples were seeing it. And then she said, you know, even the dogs deserve some crumbs from the table. And because of her great humility and her great need that drove that humility, in response to her faith, Jesus heals it's an incredible message for the disciples. Guys, what matters is not what ethnicity you were born to. It depends on whether or not you show up in humility, in need, and ask for grace and receive it by faith. That's what matters. Now, so you see all this. Jesus is Lord of all, right? He's the light that shines in the darkness. He's the creator, right? He, you know, he's the Messiah. He's doing all the messianic type of stuff. And, and, and he's just not only blown up the world about the fact that he's made all foods clean, now he's saying that all people matter to God. And he's thinking, you know what, you guys need to process this. So let's go south. Let's go south by going north, east, south, and then west, right? So we, we need a long chat about this, guys. So we're going to go on a walk that's going to take us weeks and months so they can get it right. And even when they get to the end of that, Right? And they get back into the area of the Decapolis. You know, they've been on the road now for weeks listening to him unpack and teach and practice. He gets there, guys, you know, you, you, let, me, let me act this out for you. Just like this deaf guy needs somebody to touch his ears to give him the ability to hear, you've got to let God touch your spiritual ears so you can see what he's saying to you. 
And for you to be able to communicate this gospel to the world clearly, you've got to let God touch your tongues, you know, symbolically. And, and here's a couple of things that we've been asking ourselves this question. That, what, 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 what does this text say to us about what it means to be a follower after Christ? And the first thing I think that he's really trying to show us here in this text, through, through, through what, he, what he's done in terms of declaring all foods clean, and then the interaction with the women and declaring all people redeemable, and now his interaction and his just deep prayer for our eyes to be opened, our hearts to be opened, our minds to be opened for God to teach. I think in all of that, one of the things he's saying to you, never, ever, ever underestimate the learning curve that we need to go through if we're going to really walk with Jesus. Because that learning curve never changes. Never, it never gets easier. The journey of becoming like Christ for me is as difficult tomorrow as it was the day after I received Christ as an 11-year-old. And whenever we think we get to a place where we don't need Jesus to touch our ears or touch our mouths, to grant us that understanding, because God's ways are not our ways, right? You know, the way we think, it's not the same. And we need Jesus, right, to give us the capacity to learn, to become who he is. And so his prayers, God, open, open the ears of my disciples. Let them get it, right? And they do get it. Takes a while, but they do get it, right? And, and God is saying, you need to have your ears touched. Because the way you see yourself, the way you see other people, what you see, what's important in the world, how you treat other people, that stuff is a massive learning curve, right? And, it's, and if you've been walking with Jesus for 25 or 30 years, it's not about memorizing a new verse or getting some new insight into scripture that you can share in your life group. It's whether or not you are more like Jesus tomorrow in your relationships and what you do to glorify him, right, than it is than you're doing today. And that's a whole different level of learning, right? And, 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 that, and he's trying to remind us, this doesn't come naturally. It comes supernaturally. So let God touch your ears and release your tongues. I want you to see another marvelous, marvelous insight from the scripture is that, is that our faith really can impact other people. Who's, who's, at the, who's sitting at the foot of the table begging for Jesus to do something? It's the mother, right? Who's, who's the one who gets blessed? The daughter. Her faith lands up being a blessing for her daughter, right? Who, 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 who are the ones who bring the deaf and mute guy to Jesus and express his need? It's his buddies, right? Who, who gets blessed? Get, they get to see it too, right? You know, but, but who gets? He does. He's the one who expands. Our faith has an impact on other people. And, and it's, a, it's an incredible thing. Jesus said, you know, I, if I be lifted up, I'll draw all men to me. If you and I lift up Jesus in our lives, right? Man, stuff happens. There is a radiance that goes with our faith. And the way God wants to change the world is through the radiance that he shines through our faith to all who are around us. And that means you've got to speak up, you've got to serve up, <laughs> you know, and you've got to relate up to other people. You just have to, right? And, and, and it's a part of it. But our faith can ha- it has an impact on the world that's around us. I, I was reminded this week, and I didn't tell this story in the first service, but when I was in college, you know, I was one of the few guys who really tried to, I mean, literally three or four guys 
on campus who try to live out their faith. You know, I didn't go to any of the parties. I went to church. I went and taught youth group even on the night before big exams, all that kind of stuff. And, and, and there was somebody who was in my wider circle. It wasn't a big school, right? Just 1,400. So he was a classmate of mine. In other words, graduated the same year. Wasn't in like my circle of friends. Didn't play in any of the teams that I was a, a, a part of. But I, I bumped into him years later. And he said, me watching you live your faith out on campus is what led me to seek out Christ later on in life. Your faith, the way you live it out, has a radiance that goes on. And I can't even remember his name. Your faith can have a radiance that shines out. You see it in this text over and over and over again. So how is it that you and I let the glory of God fall upon us? And, and, and there is no substitute for coming to Jesus like this woman did. Fully aware of our need and our inability to deal with it. And in utter and complete humility saying, God, heal me. Heal me. You're you're the only solution, right? And and, and if you and I ever in our spiritual journey think we get to a place where we're self-sufficient, I think we can be spiritually confident, but that's not the same thing as thinking that we're self-sufficient. If we ever get to a place where we think we are self-sufficient, we're not going to experience the glory of God. And this woman was standing before Jesus, and she said, I, I know I don't have first claim on you, and I, maybe I don't really deserve this, but in her complete humility, driven by the need of her daughter, her faith is what unleashed the grace of God. And, 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 and i got to tell you, you and I, and so when you connect these to the Gospels for everybody, right? Because she's a Gentile. And that good news is released by faith rooted in humility and awareness of our need. And that means the gospel's for all of us. And we experience, God falls on us, we get his glory of God as you and I come to Jesus in our need and in humility say, heal me, heal me, heal me. And and, and my prayer is that you and I would be people who really change. You know, that, that we're willing to let God speak, stick his proverbial fingers in our ears. You really, your voice sounds weird when you do that, by the way. You know, and, you just, you know and, 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 and let God change the way we think, change the way we see the world, change the way we see ourselves, change the way we see him, and then there release his grace into our lives by faith. Let's pray together. God, I think I speak for all of us that change is hard. It's chaotic, it's terrifying, it's difficult. It makes us uncomfortable. God, I'm grateful that you want us to change because that change is always better. So Father, it's with a fresh level of understanding that we say today, God, give us ears to hear what you're saying to us as we pray in Jesus' name, amen.